This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey, lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. And this week, I'm so excited to have another repeat with my faves, Pamela Samuelson (laughs) of Embody Work LA to talk to you about your sex life through and after your journey through pregnancy and how our partners can support us in this. Uh, So important. Pamela, Thanks for joining me again. Absolutely. What a pleasure. If you haven't caught her, we had her on episode number 27 of Eat, Play, Sex, where she's talking a lot about um, sexual pleasure, orgasms, um, dyspareunia, vaginismus, the pain that we can experience in sex and what, and the blockages that are getting in the, in the way of having the sex life of our dreams. Mm. So if you haven't heard that, definitely do. We talk about all the juicy things in there and we go on and on and on. <laughs> It is jam-packed with information. Yes. (laughs) It's true. So fun. So I, (laughs) in in that episode, I talked to to our listeners, our lovers, about how I met you, which was very intimate. And Mm -hmm. she met and helped introduce me to my own cervix, which... For those of you who don't know what the cervix is, it is inside of your vagina. See, at, at the end of the hallway, I say. <laughs> yeah. It's the end of the hallway. And it, and it, it's to, to be able to meet her with a, with a mirror was so empowering for me because it's like getting to know myself from the inside out, literally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've never been pregnant before. I'm just going to put that out there okay. <laughs> to all my lovers. I haven't been pregnant, but I do have pregnant dreams. <laughs> That's the same thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Different, but, you know, part of it for sure. <laughs> so I, I'm excited about this because I, I get um, friends and clients who've talked to me about, you know, having kids or they've just, they, they come to me after they have their baby Mm-hmm. And they're in tears because their sex life just isn't the same, or they don't have a libido, or they're in pain, mm-hmm. and their partners just can't understand. And how can their partners actually understand what they're experiencing? Sure. Yeah. So you see, you work a lot with women mm-hmm. who, this is the case. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of women postpartum who are dealing with all of the things that you described. Uh, yeah. And, and more. There's a lot of expectation, I think, put on uh, birthing women to kind of bounce back real quick after they have a baby. You see all these magazine images of celebrities who are suddenly, you know, Teeny. two weeks later, they're back to normal. Everything kind of looks the same. And it's, um, mm. it's not realistic or fair or kind to project that that is the way that it goes. And it's detrimental, honestly, to the birthing Mm. woman to expect that and to pressure for that. Oh my God. It takes time to recover from birth. Birth is, I compare it to an earthquake. It's like, it is a massive tectonic rupture in the time-space continuum. Like it really does change everything. Um, I think it's very different, obviously, from woman to woman or from person to person who's birthing. Um, But it's, there's a before and there's an after. Yeah. And that's yeah. just real. And I don't know that any amount of describing that can prepare you for that. Yeah. Get your earthquake prepare kit ready and I mean, there, emergency prepare kit. <laughs> I mean, there is there is a lot. There is a lot that you can do to prepare for it. But I think just accepting that there's a lot that you don't know you don't know yeah. can go a long way. And that's why we have this episode yeah. to really help men and women to understand and, expe- and know, have these realistic expectations. Yeah. You know, what could go on, what could be happening. Mm-hmm. And so, what, what the choices are that will lead to sort of an optimal outcome. Ugh, I love it. Because you do have so many choices and that's empowering. Totally. Yeah. I'm really excited about this topic. Uh, but before we get to that, lovers, 
You're the reason I do this show, and I want to thank you for tuning in, for spreading the word, leaving reviews, and trying some of the suggestions that I recommend. I've been getting amazing feedback on all the products we love and that I personally use myself because my goal is to help you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every single aspect of your life. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and grab my sexy guides to playful sex, to boosting your confidence in the bedroom, and having more mindful slow sex, which is super young. <laughs> so let's get back to the conversation with Pamela. Pamela Anderson. Anderson? <laughs> A whole you're new not, identity. You're not the first. Is this? <laughs> That's fucking funny. Is that your stripper name? Is mm. <laughs> we are separate people. <laughs> Pamela Anderson and I do not do not share. You've never seen us in the same room, right? So. <laughs> seen you two in the same room? So it's hard to know. Really. Yeah, we yeah, could be yeah. alter egos, <laughs> like a like Superman. <laughs> Pamela Samuelson <laughs> is a body worker, an orgasmic birth doula. Oof. Oh my God, I want to talk about that. <laughs> a sex educator for children and adults and a holistic pelvic care practitioner, a certified sexological body worker and a lifelong dancer. Oh my God, it's going to be one of those shows where I'm like, blah, 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 <laughs> So let's have fun with this. <laughs> okay, ready. So how did you, did you get into this work because you were pregnant or you, no. you experienced things because of your pregnancy? How did you get into this work, first of all? Um, I got into it because sex is the most interesting thing that there is. <laughs> so, well, I don't know. I kind of like bunnies and I like vegan ice cream and I like yeah, all of the above. <laughs> but really, if it comes down to bunnies and vegan ice cream or sex, like... Who wins? <laughs> for me, sex wins mm -hmm. most of the time. So, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not even the actual doing of sex, just so much as also that, but also just what sex is. It's such a, it's such a kind of monumental peak event. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I've just always been fascinated by it. It is. Oh, I think I just did that because I pushed the thing. Ugh. Okay, and we'll start in three, two, one. So we're fascinated with sex. I am. I am fascinated Me with too. sex. Me too. So upon learning that there was something uh, called orgasmic birth. Is that what got practice, you into it? I went to it. A friend of mine was involved and brought me into it uh, in New York City with this incredible trainer and doula named Deborah Pascali Bonero. Um, who had written a great book and done a lot of um, done a lot of like documentary work and was doing these trainings on the East Coast. Um, she herself at that point was a mother of five. I think that she is still a mother of five. I don't think there have been more. And she had been attending and assisting women, birthing women for a really, really long time and working mm. closely with midwives and basically was my first exposure after reading the kind of classics like uh, Spiritual Midwifery by Anna Mae Gaskin mm -hmm. and a couple of the other like old school midwifery, like natural birth manuals mm -hmm. um, that one comes across. Uh, I met this woman and was in her doula training and it was my first exposure to birth as a natural, normal process of life instead of a medically managed emergency, which mm. is most of what we see. Mm -hmm. You see somebody giving birth in a movie and they're screaming in a hospital or in a know, wheelchair or in a wheelchair or like beating their husband over the head with a handbag because they're in so much pain or whatever. Like there's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a very extreme, um, portrayal that we see. Yeah. Very dramatic. Very dramatic, which I think scares the shit out of everybody. Honestly. Does me to yeah. be perfectly honest. It sure. scares me. Yeah. 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 It scared me too. So the exposure to this other way of being with it and looking at it and hearing her stories of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women that she had assisted, um, having births that were pleasurable where you can steer the extremely intense sensations of birth in a direction that isn't excruciating, but is actually orgasmic, is opening. Huh. Instead of having contractions, you're having rushes of energy, things like this. Just even, even the change of language is huge. Yeah. Um, you know, Very encouraging, expansive. Expansive and just like things that you don't get to do in the hospital. Like I have stood at the door of a hospital room where I was a doula guarding the door from nurses coming in because I was encouraging the birthing woman and her partner to have sex in the room to make the labor. Stop it. That's yeah. amazing. Totally. I mean, this is something that it's, this is the thing because we have such bizarre, like 
puritanical notions of sex, we erase from our minds that birth is a sexual act. Yeah. Pregnancy is sexual. These are all sexual things. And to be in a state of pleasure and arousal and openness and receiving and surrender while you are in them is incredibly helpful with it going well. Like, this is what we're designed to do. Yeah. And this is not to say that birth isn't overwhelmingly intense and can be very painful. Of course it can. Like, I birthed right. unmedicated in my home. Uh-huh. I would not describe what I had as an orgasm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I sort of, in in... In the, in the experience of it, and then in retrospect, I was like, oh, right, I busted out my vibrator too late. I should have started that earlier. Will you bring your vibrator in there? I was trying to work with my sensations, and so I was like, let's try a vibrator. But I was already so deep in intense contractions. I was, like, Whoa. fully engaged in, like, three to five-minute-apart contractions by the time I did oh that. I was God. just like, yeah, I should have done this in the beginning. <laughs> uh, so, so everybody learn, bring out the vibrator early. I mean, try. I know? used mine this morning. Great. Yeah. Instead of a coffee break, I take a vibrator break. That's excellent. Or a yoni egg break. I or love a crystal that. break. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Something. Yeah. <laughs> this is very good. It keeps you grounded. I don't. I don't discriminate between my pleasure toys. They're all. <laughs> <laughs> they're all evolved. They're all sacred. <laughs> and now I, I know you. that I can have it while I'm having a baby. <laughs> I love you. You can have anything. This is the thing. <laughs> You can have any, you should, in my humble opinion, be able to have access to anything that makes you feel good while you are having a baby. Okay, so I'm going to make him bring me vegan ice cream and bunnies. Yeah, totally. Perfect. The issue, the the place where this goes off the rails, (laughs) and sex, the place where this goes off the rails is that less than 1% at my last reading of births in the United States happen outside of a hospital. So that includes home births and birthing center births. Wow. 99 plus percent of births happen in a hospital, which to me indicates that the vast majority of humans who are going to give birth in this country feel much safer in a hospital than they do anywhere else. Uh If that is the case, those people, of course, should birth wherever they feel safest because going into a birth, it is the most psychedelic, animal, and super intense experience that I personally have ever had. Wow. And that I have ever witnessed in others. Uh-huh. It is it is beyond psychedelics. It's beyond it's like beyond anything. It is a totally it is a total break from the known <sighs> the first time you do it. Wow. And so to do that in a place where people are reassuring you that you're safe, they're keeping an eye, they're managing the experience for you, they can offer you painkillers if you want them, you can get an epidural, you can, you know, there's like all sorts of different ways to ease it and move it through and make it go faster. And, and I think management really is the word for uh-huh. it. Um, to many people, it's very reassuring. Yeah. To me, I have a lot of faith in nature, in my body, and in the way that my body wants to do it. Just as like baseline for my feelings about my own health. Yeah. And my feelings about the health of others. Like, I, I am a tremendous believer in the innate wisdom of yes. the body and its processes. Oh my God, me too. I talk about to people about body intelligence. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the body has its own genius and its own timing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, birthing at home was very important because I had seen hospital births. I had assisted a number of them. And one of those births had been managed in a way that didn't disrupt it. And all of the others, in one way or another, in one moment or another, by some caregiver who undoubtedly meant the best, Mm -hmm. um, totally disrupted what was going on for that person, for that Mm -hmm. woman. Um, And I didn't want anything to do with that. I I am very clear that I am my own authority. And having people try to pull rank on me when I am having a tripped out, altered consciousness experience... um, does not bode well for me or for them. Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to be in a position where I was going to like punch somebody out or just like be an asshole in a setting where there's other people's careers and liability on the line and where sure. there's like control over me. Like, I didn't want that. I wanted yeah. to be in control of my own experience. So I chose to birth at home with a very experienced midwife. Amazing. Um, I picked a team of midwives, the elder of whom has been catching babies since 1974. So well She's been catching babies. Like, she, I mean, yeah, she's been... Like, this is the Super Bowl or something. <laughs> totally. Go long! I mean, it basically, for her, is, you know, is equivalent. She's a superstar. Like, everyone knows who she is. And yeah. she's just been on the scene and been, like, 
doing extraordinary things, uh, like in very extreme circumstances. I saw we were still interviewing, and then yeah. at some meeting, she very casually mentioned that she had delivered a 12-pound baby unmedicated in a bed in someone's home with no tearing. And I was like, sold. You're my lady. Okay, (laughs) great. Let's do this. Um, The younger of the two, or the the more junior of the two midwives, um, has been working with her for about 10 years and who I also found just like to be a fucking Jedi. So so those were my caregivers. And then I had my partner. and I have both of my partners actually with me. I love it. And then two other people who are very dear to me who both are experienced in assisting births, one of whom had been a labor and delivery nurse for years, and I was her first home birth. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So that was extraordinary because I had people who knew the ropes Mm -hmm. and could kind of guide me because it's, you know, no matter how much training you have the first time you do it. I'm sure. It's like a whole, it's a whole new world. You have no idea what to experience or what to expect when you're having the experience yourself. Oh my God. So how did it... there was a documentary that I recently saw by Ricky Lake. Did this you is the being born? Yes. Yeah. Holy crap. Holy crap. It was amazing. But and, and at the same time, I don't feel like we can necessarily blame the doctors and the nurses who are in that because that's what they've been taught. Yeah. So it's all about educating the you know educating that there's more that there are choices that there are options. Yeah, I mean, it's referred to as the medical industrial complex, right? Because there's a tremendous amount of money invested in keeping things the way that they are. Mm-hmm. So. I highly recommend that documentary to people. Yeah, I love it. I do it. too. Yeah, it's, I think yeah. it's really important. Yeah. So it's amazing when we think about pregnancy and how the body goes through so many changes. Yeah. And then how do, how this the changes it goes through? There must be different expectations that we have on our body, especially as it re- relates to sex yeah. or what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe you can walk us through the stages of pregnancy, like the trimesters, and share with sure. uh, lovers. This is what you should be looking for. This is normal. You know, uh, this is, I want to say the word normal, but I don't want to use the word normal. <laughs> well, this is common. This maybe. is common. Yes. yes. This is usual. Yes. This is, yeah. Um, it looks so different for everyone. I mean, you're going through a process where inside of your body, you have a seed of consciousness that shows up as a little flash of light. Have you seen this? Have you ever seen the little flash of light? I, I've seen from like the embryo, like how it how it forms. There is a there is a microscopic. There is a video that I have seen that is like a microscopic image of a sperm entering an egg, and there is an actual literal flash of light upon no. entry. Yeah, it's I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. So you're starting with that, and then it's that, and it's so tiny that you can't actually even see it really um, without assistance from a, from a microscope. Um, to being a, f- a person within nine months. So it's one of the most... The Big Bang Theory. It's the Big Bang, but it's, and it's happening inside your body. It's happening inside your pelvis. So it's, wow. um, it is one of the wildest processes I've ever been, been party to, actually. <laughs> um, you know, you have the sex that you have, and hopefully it's marvelous. And then you have a tiny person growing inside of you to the point that they can leave your body and survive, you know? So it's wild. And the birth that's the culmination of that is one of the most, like, genuinely transformative. Uh, yeah, it is It is truly an overwhelming experience, or it was for me. I think mm-hmm. it's not for everybody, but it really, really was for me. Sure, yeah. Uh, there are people who just schedule C-sections and, like, go in and, and do it that way. Yeah. And I am not one to point a finger at anyone f- and and try to castigate them for their choices around birth. I think people, of course, should do the thing that feels correct to them. Mm-hmm. And let's educate all the choices, all the options. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, depending mm-hmm. on the caregivers that you choose, you'll get very different care, of course. The okay. training that doctors receive is very different from the training that midwives receive. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to avoid a C-section, I strongly recommend not choosing a doctor as your primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Even when you work with midwives in this country, um, there you must have a backup doctor in case you need a transfer, in case mm-hmm. there is like a genuine emergency Amazing. in the birthing center or at the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do need to go to the hospital for any reason, either planned or, or as a, a kind of last minute emergency thing. Yeah, There is always a doctor who is aware of what's going on with you and is sort of there as a backup. Amazing. See, I didn't know, people don't know about that. Yeah, they think it's just one or the other. Yeah. 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 I loved the doctor that was recommended to me. I uh, left my the OBGYN that I had been seeing. I left 
late in my pregnancy. I was almost eight months pregnant uh-huh. when I left her care um, because I had had the opportunity at four months to be a doula for a birth that she was the primary caregiver in. And I didn't like how she handled it. Mm. And she's like, mm, mm, mm. And nope. I just wanted to choose someone different. Like, I didn't want that kind of care. So yeah. I chose a different doctor who I thought was awesome. And it's your body, and it's your birth, and it's your life, and yeah. all the things. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's also a thing, like, because doctors in our work, we are so entrained to think of doctors as the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And I think that people really forget that, in fact, you are paying them, and they are working for you. So mm-hmm. you get to choose. You get to ask for and demand and receive the care that you want. Oof. The other that reminds me the other day I was I was in uh, with this the, it was a guy now who was um, uh, taking place of mine or you know t- yeah stepping in for the one that I typically go to and mm-hmm. she was about to use a lubrication that wasn't that had parapens in it uh-huh. and I and I was on my cycle too I was on my moon cycle and I start crying and I was like don't put that on me. <laughs> Oh, good. I like freaked her out too. But I was like, and she's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm just advocating for myself. And I'm like crying. (laughs) (laughs) I I should have brought my slick wood. (laughs) True story too. But I was like, I was like, do you know that that's a known carcinogen? And she just like wide eyed, like, and, and in my head, I'm like, doesn't she know what this is? You know, it's like, no. and and I'm glad I did look at the at the tube, and I'm glad I did advocate for myself because that's just not what I want. On your pussy? On my on my pussy. That's not what I want on my yeah. pussy. I want many things on my pussy, and that's not one of them. <laughs> fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> so yeah. so going into this Big Bang theory, you know that the the spark mm. happens and everything. Mm-hmm. What's happening with a woman and her sexuality or? Um. It is, I mean, again, it's so different person to person. Sure. There are women who are literally throwing up through their entire pregnancy because oh, yeah. the hormone shift does that to them. Uh-huh. There are women who feel like superwoman through the whole pregnancy because that's what the hormones do for them. Like, yeah. it's, it really varies an enormous amount. There are certain things that, there's a huge range, but there are certain things that you do see happening very commonly. Um, the thing that happened to me was that I basically had a yeast infection for nine months. <gasps> oh my God, you poor woman. Which was awful. And of course, there's not you don't have the same range of uh, remedies for a yeast infection because you're pregnant. So you can't use boric acid capsules. You can't, yeah. I mean, you can't use the sort of uh, alternative remedies. I don't like to do the, what's it called? That shit, uh, not, what's the antifungal that they always give you? Oh, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. There's, yeah. there's an oral antifungal that right. they give you if you have a yeast infection, you go yeah. to the doctor's office, they give it to you. I don't take that ever, but I sort of have like my, my toolkit of like herbal remedies and boric acid and this and that and the other. And it's, you can't do all of that. So I was like doing garlic cloves and like all these other things and like pounding probiotics, doing all these things. Uh-huh. Um, so that happened. Um, I was diagnosed, this is very common, so this is worth mentioning. I was diagnosed right at the end, my 36th week, I did a, a test and was diagnosed with uh strep B, which is very common. A third of women periodically have strep B. If you ever wear a G-string, you probably have strep B. It's like not a big deal. It's a normal part of vaginal flora unless you are pregnant. If you're pregnant and you birth in a hospital and you have ever had a strep B diagnosis, even in a previous pregnancy, they immediately put you on prophylactic IV antibiotics. They immediately put a shunt or a thingy in your arm and you're on IV antibiotics through the whole time that you're in the hospital. <sighs> um, in Europe, they do something completely different. And because I was birthing at home, I chose to do that protocol, which is just to do like external washes. Uh-huh. Like a strep B is an internal. Uh-huh. It only exists on the external tissues of the vulva. I was doing like antibacterial cleanse washes every yeah. four to six hours or whatever, and all the way through labor. Yeah. Um, and then we just kept a really close eye on my daughter after she was born and we were all fine, luckily. Yeah. But this is the thing with strep B. Like if you are tested at 36 weeks, you can then be tested at 38 weeks and come up negative. Yeah. But because Oof. you've ever had that, it will lead to this whole like protocol chain being set in motion. My God. In, if, in a hospital setting. Sure. Um, so I also had that, which was treated. There's just all sorts of things because the pH of the body gets so thrown uh-huh. by the pregnancy hormones. Yes. Um, but there's all sorts of things. There are a lot of women, I actually just uh, received an email from somebody who is pregnant. I think she is at four months and she has um, excruciatingly painful um, 
SPD, symphysis pubis dysfunction. So it's this, the pubic symphysis is the exact center of the pubic bone. There's a little pad of cartilage. And in pregnancy, one of the things that starts to happen later in pregnancy is that you produce a hormone called relaxin, which basically makes it easier for the pelvis to open to push the baby out. Mm-hmm. And it makes you loose jointed everywhere. It's yes. Obviously, it's all over your body. So you get really super loosey-goosey, <laughs> and, like very flexible. Um, and for some people, there is either an obstruction in the structure of the pelvis or they're producing an enormous amount of relaxin. Uh-huh. And then just everything hurts, like the pubic symphysis opens too much. And Ugh. so this woman can't actually lift her legs without being in a ton of pain. So she's lying around a lot. Oh, my God, poor thing. I just like think of like a prego uh, noodle, like just this noodle. Yeah, it is like, very noodly. It is. I mean, I was like already. a pasta. <laughs> prego. Prego. <laughs> In my mind, the images I come up, I don't even know. It's a pasta noodle. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> a pasta, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was already a contortionist. I was an aerialist for years and years and years, and uh-huh. I was already super flexible. Yeah. And then once that started to happen to me, it's still happening to some extent. I'm still breastfeeding, <laughs> so I still have a certain amount of it. Um, but yeah, like I'm like more loose jointed than I've ever oh been my God. in my life. I just like a, another one of like Gumby or or like just doing weird things in your living room (laughs) and your partner comes on like what are you doing i'm just noodling nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the thing about the especially the last trimester of pregnancy is that you are ideally like training for your birth the way that you would be training for a marathon and so the midwives will say right so stop working on your core i was still teaching aerial until i was seven months pregnant so i stopped or like no more core exercise. You want to let everything get really soft, but you want to really like strengthen and open your hips. So squats, tons of walking. One midwife said to me, "If you walk three to five miles a day, that baby will just slide right out." Uh, like, is that like, true? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that didn't happen to me. I mean, it didn't. It did not happen to me. But also, my birth was of a completely reasonable length, and it was really sure. uncomplicated. Yeah. So. And I was in oh, pretty good shape. You know, yeah. I was like doing the loop around the lake across the street from my house, <laughs> as every day. Yeah. People were coming over and we were just like going on, on walks together. So there is a lot that you can do to prepare for birth, for sure. There's also, I mean, there's also pelvic floor work. People always talk about like perennial massage. Yes. Um, if you're diagnosed with strep B, they sometimes advise you to not do that. Okay. Um, you can do that. Uh-huh. The issue with strep B is that once your water breaks, then you don't want anything to go inside you once the water has broken because uh-huh. you don't want the bacteria, should you still have it, to travel up and into the uterus where it can cause complications. But before your water breaks, you're good to go. Like there's all sorts of stuff happening. So bring your vibrator and bring your vibrator, things. bring everything. <laughs> um, so perennial massage is great, not because it necessarily like prepares the tissue in the way that it's described. I hear people be like, oh, it stretches it out and gets it ready to stretch in birth. And I don't necessarily find that that is effective or true. Uh-huh. Um, but what it does do is it sort of informs the woman who's going to give birth um, about the sensations of that place, like some of the intensity of that place. There's also an instrument, which is fantastic, um, which you can't yet get in the United States. You can get it in Canada. And there's like, you can sort of, if you know anybody in Canada or know anybody in Europe, you just like have them mail you one. It's essentially like kind of a glorified kink device, Ooh. which inflates. Like you, can, you put it you put the bulb of it inside the like inside the opening of the vagina, the, uh-huh. the outermost third of the vagina, and then you can inflate it to stretch the tissues. And what it does, reportedly, I haven't used it myself. I didn't use it in my own pregnancy. Is that it just shows you what it's like to have those tissues stretch. Like it doesn't necessarily like pre-stretch them, uh-huh. but it gives you a sense of like, oh, that's where it's going to be. And because these are sensations that you will never have felt before, if this is your first birth, yeah. It's just real informative to be have somebody press in the right place and be like, this is where you're going to feel it. This is where you're going to feel it. To just Whoa. like have some information about like, oh, this is going to be intense in this way. And direct your attention, your awareness there. Yeah, to totally. Point. Oh, I love it. I love to direct it. your awareness and your attention and also just to not be scared, to not freak out. Yeah. But like, oh, this is normal. This is part of the normal flow of this. Uh-huh. This is how this is going to go. Yeah. What would be important for partners who are observing their their... Um, wife or girlfriend or partner, female partner, mm. going through birth or a pregnancy, the process of pregnancy, and yeah, um, stay calm, <laughs> <laughs> be patient, um, offer really loving, grounding touch. Mm. Um, is this during pregnancy or is this like throughout the whole process? This or is throughout the whole process. Or, this is yeah. pregnancy and birth. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, 
this becomes more complicated in the later stages of birth, for sure. sure. But ask her what she needs. She may not yeah. be able to tell you during birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just stay really connected. Like it's been, it's been said to me, and I think that it is true across the board that men who are part, who are in a heterosexual relationship with somebody who is birthing, whatever that relationship uh-huh. is, men have nothing in their experience that prepares them to relate to any of this. Or yeah, like they don't. There is nothing. There's nothing that will prepare a man to be able to relate to the experience of pregnancy or birth. Uh-huh. But their support, regardless, is invaluable. Yes. You know, like if if they are able to be present and connected and warm and calm and safe. Um, I birthed my daughter, I pushed her out sitting on top of my partner. He was sitting Whoa. on he was sitting on the closed toilet. And I was sitting on his lap with my legs outside his legs, and he was holding me, and I was pushing, and the midwife was sitting kind of below us on a stool and catching the baby. <gasps> this is amazing! And I needed him there. I needed yeah. him. Yeah. Oh my god, he's physically holding space for you. He was. I was on top of his body, oh. and he was. He was holding me as I was in this like most insanely intense moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so powerful. And then when I had my daughter in my arms, she was in my arms, and his arms were around both of us, mm. and that was. You know. Very inclusion there. You two are in this together. We were totally and have remained in this together. Yeah. That's the nature of the partnership. I love that. Which so I feel much. very blessed by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and so maybe you can speak on, on personally, what was your sex drive or what was your sexual experience uh, like through the pregnancy? Um, it was very challenged through the pregnancy, and I find that to be common. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have great sex all the way through their pregnancy, and that's awesome for them. That's going to be me. I'm starting that intention. I'm holding the vision. I was having great, I was able to have great pleasure and, and, um, and great sexual connection as long as I wasn't dealing with penetration, but the yeast made everything very complicated for me Yeah. as far as having any kind of vaginal penetration at all. So we just got real creative. Like what else can we do? Like what else works? And then as your belly is growing with a pregnancy, the positions become more prescribed. Like some things work and some things don't. Yeah. The position of your cervix changes. So any kind of vaginal penetration can be really uncomfortable in different ways. Like there's also, it's just, it varies so much person to person. Like there are people who are having fabulous vaginal penetrative sex uh-huh. all the way up to and through their birth. Like, like people yeah. have sex in labor. It's really helpful. Like, yeah. It can be really helpful. It just depends kind of what's going on. Sure, yeah. Um, I did find that making out in the birth was really helpful. I found that nipple stimulation oh, was incredibly helpful yes. with getting my contractions going. Ah, because, yes. again, it's like, the, it's a feedback loop, you know? Uh-huh. It's a sexual experience, and it should can be a much more pleasurable one than we allow. Yeah, that's amazing. I And I really want to emphasize that, you know, what you said about finding different things in sex other than just penetration. And that's oh, what sure. I tell people on a general basis. Like, sex is way more than just the penetration. It's, sure. it, you know, like, and, and this is true for, and a lot of times we don't realize this until it's not available to us. Right. You know, but yep. Yep. all of it is sex. All of it. All of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very erotic time. I found myself being very sensitized. Mm. Like the hormones made my skin really sensitive. Really? And do you know, I mean, it's like the way that a pregnant woman will suddenly like crave pickles and chocolate chips or whatever, Uh like your sense of smell changes, your sense of taste changes. And that's the most uh, rocky. I think it's the most, it's like the biggest transition in the first trimester. By second trimester, people tend to have normalized around that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to emphasize too. You know, mm-hmm. in this period, if, you're, if your senses are heightened, mm-hmm. do more sensual play. Yeah, totally. With your partner. Slowing it down, especially because the changes are so dramatic. Uh-huh. Really slowing down sexual play and any kind of intimate play, just sensual play, yeah, um, is very is wonderful, is super fulfilling and super connecting, especially in a kind of I don't know, it can be disconcerting to have your body start to change so radically. Mm-hmm. And so to be in a pleasurable, connected experience with a partner or even alone, especially yeah. alone, yeah, um, is just very grounding. It's very nourishing and. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's and it's giving. It sounds like giving yourself permission to allow your sex life to evolve. Oh yeah, absolutely. And be where it's at. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is spot on. That's exactly, exactly right. And then, what did you experience post pregnancy? Because I hear all kinds of stories from ah, women. Right. So this is actually where the big kicker is, because pregnancy is nine months and then it's over, right? And yeah. postpartum lasts forever for the rest <laughs> of your life, mm. technically. 
you know, you Technically, were, there's yeah, yeah. your pre and then your post. Yeah. Um, postpartum is hard and it is made much harder in this country by the lack of space given to women postpartum to do things like rest. Mm. When all really that you should be doing for several weeks, like I would recommend six weeks off mm. resting, not having to rush around, not having, I mean, this is, a, I'd say this from a position of like incredible utopian idealism because sure. that is not the world that we're living in and right, people right, don't right. necessarily have that privilege or that, that ability to just like not go back to work for six weeks or whatever, like whatever their circumstances are to mm-hmm. not be like on their feet. Yeah, I love later. that you're recognizing that. Yes, that's important. I mean, the protocol in Europe is that you get a long time off and there's paternity leave. So you have support. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's support from the family. There's, there's a structure there to hold people mm-hmm. after they have a baby, which doesn't exist in this country. And, you know, given the people who are running our federal government right now, I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon, mm-hmm. um, but it should you know, these are things that we should be demanding. This is super important. Obama talked about it quite a bit, actually, mm-hmm. um, in his time in office, which I really appreciated. Um, the body is so rocked by giving birth, however the birth goes down, whether it's a vaginal delivery or a cesarean, whether it's in hospital or outside hospital, like whatever it is, if you tear, if you don't tear, whatever, people recover and kind of begin to return to like the body that they knew more or less quickly. But I feel like six weeks of resting is a bare minimum that people should be given, whether they need mm-hmm. it or not, mm-hmm. to just chill the fuck out, to just like <sighs> eat really nourishing food, have really gentle interactions. Like I didn't want anyone in my house, including my mom, who I adore, who I'm super close with. I didn't want her to come over for like three days after I gave birth. I was in such an altered state. Oh, wow. Like yeah. as, a, as a psychedelic explorer as a kind of a psychonaut, I was in a more altered state than I've ever experienced in any other way. Like I was so blown open and just like a portal opened and I went through it. And then I was, it's, I described this as like going to another planet without ever leaving home. Like you're suddenly in a very different world. Oh, this is beautiful. And so I wanted some time and space. The first time I left the house with the baby was eight days after we, after I birthed her. And I, it was like I, being a wild animal in the middle of the city. I felt like I could hear everything from blocks in every direction. Like I was super freaked out just crossing the street. And we just went across the street to go to the lake. I live across from Echo Park Lake. And I was like, we're just going to go to the Lotuses and come straight back home. The whole thing was probably less than 15 minutes. And I was so wigged out by even stepping outside like the, the comfortable container of my home. Yeah. And I don't know that that's the usual but people aren't given that kind of space. Like mm. you give birth and everybody rushes in with gifts and things and, blah, 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 and they bring lasagna, which you can't necessarily eat. And there's just like a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of like f- hubbub around the baby. Yeah. And I feel like in general, in the care that's offered in this country, the focus is really given to the baby and very little focus is given to the woman Aww. who's just, who's just rocked. She just had an earthquake. Who just had an earthquake. Yeah, totally. Um, so there is a lot to be said for rest containment, setting hard boundaries. My midwives, God bless them, put a sign on the door, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is their standard sign. They put this on everyone's door. Yeah. That's like, hi, so uh, when you come into the house, you will do the following things. You will immediately wash your hands. Um, you will clean something up. Please make yourself useful while you're here and you're not to stay longer than 15 minutes. Wow. And I was like, oh my God. And it felt really draconian when they brought it before the birth. And then after the birth, it was, I was like, oh, thank thank the Lord. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense because we just needed a lot of space. Yeah. Like a lot of space. Oh. And because I am extraordinarily privileged with people in my life that care and with people that show up in the way that I ask, mm-hmm. um, we got that. And I mm. did have my six weeks and I, you know, I did get to have that. And I felt the effects of that. I felt my nervous system return to normal. I felt my body kind of regain its chi and, you know, just like it's basic energy to like do basic things, like go to the store and do some laundry and just like, right. just like normal things. <laughs> Human things. Human, yes. normal, normal, sustaining life, maintenance things. And then you're doing, of course, all of that as a brand new parent with a brand new baby. Yeah. And having to figure that out at the same time. Oh so God. it's just, and it feels like an enormous responsibility. Um, which for me translated as like, oh shit, like I actually am experiencing an anxiety I've never felt before. And I never went into anything resembling a postpartum depression, but I definitely felt like a lot of the hormonal roller coaster in the weeks after the birth. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I did do something which is recommended and which a lot of people find really gross, but which is really common among animals, all animals, um, all mammals who do have a placenta and then birth the placenta after the baby, is that you can keep your placenta unless mm-hmm. you have been uh, had an infection or had a lot of antibiotics and then you don't necessarily want to. But if you, if that's not your circumstance, you can keep the placenta, you can process it, and you can you can uh, ingest it. Well, there's a lot of stem cells in there, right? I don't know that there's stem cells, but there are components in the placenta that really help to stabilize the hormones oh, wow. of the postpartum period. Uh-huh. And I found it immediately helpful oh. if I ever needed to. There are people who will um, dehydrate and encapsulate a placenta yeah, with I've herbs. You can tincture it. You can just do it raw, which I Amazing. did in smoothies, which was no. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Uh-huh. It was, it's intense, but in just like talking to the people that I knew, the person who I was just like, yep, this is the way to do it. Helped me a lot. I was like, okay, great. So did that. And You're sitting like, around at the bar, you're drinking your smoothie. Oh, what's in your smoothie? Oh, placenta. Uh-huh. That's a real showstopper, really. It's like everything goes silent. <laughs> but, you know, I'm hardcore in that way. So I did that um, and found it unbelievably helpful. Like I would start to go into some sort of a spiral that I recognized as being... Um, independent of my circumstances, which were very gentle and harmonious, yeah, I would start to spin out and would be like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing that I know will help me. And I mean, placebo or not, I found it immediately addressed whatever was going on for me and kind of brought me back to like just uh, an even keel. Yeah. Which wow. is really important in the first days of being with a newborn. Like, Absolutely. I can't, yeah. I know many people who have gone through intense postpartum depression and it's like, okay, well, I'm trying to figure out breastfeeding, which is not coming easily necessarily. Mm-hmm. And we're all exhausted. Mm-hmm. And this is a brand new person who sleeps and eats around the clock and who I'm continuously having to monitor mm-hmm. and be with. And then having postpartum depression on top of that. So like, oh, I'm not feeling connected. Mm. Where is this rush of immediate maternal love I'm supposed to be feeling? Oh, and a lot of shame around that. Yeah, yeah. And then it just, that turns into its own thing. So it's, yeah. there's a lot of pieces to that, but it's... Um, so it's allowing yourself to be where you're at and what you're feeling is okay. It's like validating ourselves. Totally. It's okay that I'm feeling this way. Yeah. And I, what I see is is that sometimes there's pressure either on the self mm-hmm. or partner or pressure from the partner to then jump immediately back into being a sexual relationship. Yeah, which is crazy because if you, I mean, regardless of what kind of delivery you have, whether it is a C-section or a vaginal delivery. That shit is really intense. It's really hard on the body. Even if there's no tearing, I think the first time I had very minimal tearing, I had two stitches. Uh I think the first time I was able to have any kind of penetrative touch of any kind was at six weeks. Mm -hmm. And that was early. That's early for a lot of people. Oh, okay. That's like real early. Oh, wow. Like I went into the midwife and was like, we just did it for the first time. And she was like, wow, already? Wow. Did you get, were you horny? Were you like aroused? I was, I was curious. I think more than necessarily aroused. Like Uh I wanted to connect with my partner in that way. I don't Mm -hmm. know that I was necessarily like super hot for him. Right. I was still dealing with an injury. So I Mm -hmm. rather doubt that I was when Mm -hmm. I kind of cast my mind back to that moment. Um, But I wanted to be with him. Yeah. I wanted to be close with him in that Mm -hmm. way. And so it was very, it was like me on top very slow, very careful, very exploratory, and very brief, mm-hmm. really, where I was just like, how, you know, what, I was just like, what is, go, what is my body like now? Like, I couldn't even tell. Wow. What is my body like? I love that curious mindset because yeah. it, 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 I think that's where our uh, relationships with our body and our sexuality can evolve. Totally. You know, what does sex mean? What does it look like for me? Mm-hmm. Well, let me get curious to see what I, I like now or what my how my body responds now. Right. I think that the kind of, when we talked about this in the last episode, I think that a lot of the genital shame that we mm. deal with culturally really trend. Like I've heard comedians talk about like watching, don't ever watch your wife give birth. It's like watching your favorite restaurant burn down or some shit like that. Oh. Like it really birth changes the body. And I think in an environment where there's already a lot of shaming to have even like the the basic acceptance that we feel like we've fought for be compromised by mm-hmm. by making a like a god, making a human being and then getting them and pushing them out of your body, mm-hmm. having that compromise your uh, sexiness to your partner, or your desirability is an enormous setback yeah like that's a really deep blow Whoosh. so i don't know i think that that's another way that partners can can support and is just to not be an asshole about the fact that this is a, 
I mean, really. Don't be like, an asshole in general. Don't but. be an asshole in general. And just really consider like what that means in, in the sense of like, this is something that is happening. Uh-huh. This is something that partners are participating in. And it is going to change the body of the person who's giving birth and to be really spacious and patient and gracious about uh-huh. that. Like consider the act that, that they have just performed. Like consider what they've just done. Uh-huh. And I, and I think that goes for ourselves too. Yeah. So the person who does go through that experience, do the same thing. Be generous or be be gracious. Be kind. Be gentle, and yeah. don't push yourself to do something just because it's you've created this expectation in your mind that you're supposed to be there. Yeah, and it's a tender time. Please be tender. Yeah. Please meet that, that well. You know? And and some women experience, uh, uh, you know, from that experience they experience trauma or they experience tears or they experience. And things as a result of the birth. Oh yeah, that- birth injuries are are the most common, and I feel like this is where the lack of attention to the birthing woman is really kind of an egregious mm-hmm. problem. Like it's a huge, huge mistake on the part of caregivers, and this is not true everywhere. We were talking before about how in France, uh, the state pays for women who have given birth in their postpartum weeks. Uh, when they're ready to go to sexual re-education classes where they have you essentially playing video games with your vagina within a certain (laughs) number of weeks to retrain the musculature. Like, as you're healing, and you consider this is like, whether this is a C-section or a vaginal delivery, there is is an injury to the body. Either it is surgical or it is uh, a tear on the way out most of Mm -hmm. the time, even a very slight tear. Um, And that creates scar tissue. That creates adhesion in the connective tissue of the pelvic floor. That's Mm -hmm. a real problem. And because you have just done this insane dramatic thing of like getting pushing a person out through your pelvis the muscles feel really different there's injury they need to heal they need time to sort of knit themselves back together and to just for the inflammation to go down which takes a little while and once that's happened you have to kind of relearn how to engage the Mm -hmm. pelvic floor really changes with birth Mm -hmm. the abdomen really changes with birth wow and and, and so this can cause some pain, pain moving forward. With... It can cause pain. It can cause numbness. It can cause a, really? a huge dip in libido. Yeah, sure. Mm. I mean, think of the, the, the enervation, the nervous relationship, the nervous system relationship with all of the soft tissues of the pelvic floor. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So, so Pamela is a, a pelvic floor specialist and she works with, with women internally yeah. to help navigate these and and retrain the body, restructure the body here. Yeah, there are two big things that I see repeatedly with women postpartum. One is that if they have had a difficult or challenging or traumatic birth, like if their agency was suddenly taken away from them in a hospital setting, if they were like rushed into a C-section without anybody really communicating with them, if for whatever reason they were very set on one outcome and they ended up with a different outcome Mm -hmm. and that was handled badly, Mm -hmm. even in a moment, because you're, I mean, it really is like if you are, in a very altered state and something goes a little bit wrong and the stakes are high, it it impacts you very deeply. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that is is consistent with women that I see postpartum is that if the birth was difficult, um, they are harboring a lot of hurt. There's a real deep kind of wound around that mm-hmm. um, that they're holding in the body. And the, the response that they get when they try to talk about this is, oh, you have a healthy baby. You, should, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, my God. And they're sort of talked out of it. Oof. But that doesn't actually address the fact that they're having a lot of feelings about what happened to them. Right. And it's it's not really for anybody else to say whether they have the right to feel that way or not. They do feel that way. That was their experience. Yeah, we're the expector, expert of our own experience. Yeah, we're our the feelings. only expert of our own experience. And to not be taken seriously in that is awful. It's, yeah. it's a really big deal. So I'm holding a lot of space for women to process that and have all of their feelings. And that is often something that doesn't come up until they come in for pelvic work. Mm. Um, I do a lot of work on C-section scars. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm doing that work decades after the C-section actually happened. Mm. But there is now some symptomology that's developed over time, which has led to often a big dip in the libido, other other pelvic congestion symptoms Mm. um, from that cut being made in the low abdomen. Mm -hmm. And just from like a lack of engagement, there are women who come to me who have never touched their own C-section scar because they feel like it doesn't belong to them. <gasps> wow. Which is wild just to think about as like a kind of core image of like what that's like. Oh. And suddenly this experience is taken away from you and this part of your body is taken away from you. Oh. If it's not handled right. One of the things I loved, just to go back to this about the doctor that I transferred my, that I switched my care to, the yeah. backup doctor, is that he 
was like, I need you to get with me. He said, I know that you're a doula. I need you to get with me about the fact that your birth may not go the way you want and that we will do everything in our power to be super communicative and stay connected with you, even if that ends in a C-section. Wow. We will stay, mm. compl- this, every, everything that you want, we will try to give to you to the maximum of our ability within just like basic safety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great, I can totally get with that. And he was like, awesome, okay. And we shook hands. <laughs> he was oh. like, he was like, if it doesn't go the way you don't, if it doesn't go the way that you want, I need you to not flip out on me. And I was like, sure. He's like, I will do everything in my power to give it to you the way that you want it. Like even in the OR, even if this has to happen very quickly, I will make sure that you are included. Oh. And I was like, word, wow. then you're my guy, totally. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, but it's Maybe. it's I think a relatively rare experience to have that with a doctor. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not many doctors that are that are functioning in a in a kind of framework around birth uh-huh. that includes the experience of the birthing woman they like want everyone to be safe they want everyone to be okay uh-huh. they want everyone to leave the hospital in one piece and like go home and get on with their lives mm-hmm. but i've also seen doctors come in looking at their watch because they were late to a date and wanting the labor to fucking speed go, go, up go. come on yeah. get that baby out here yeah which has nothing to do with the woman or her experience right. at all it's quite the opposite so there's a it's huge about range. productivity and yeah. Moving on. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. This is amazing. And I love hearing about your experience personally because it makes it super real. Like I can, it versus just telling about somebody else. Sure. It's, it's like, I've been through this. This is what's possible. This is what you can do. This is what can happen. Sure. And there are choices. There's such Absolutely. a powerful thing that happens when we know that we have choices. And it's all, I mean, for me, it's really all about presenting the choices and the consequences really clearly so mm-hmm. people can decide for themselves, just trusting that people are intelligent and willing. Mm-hmm. So what would be some some tips that you would want to be able to give to our lovers out there who might be experiencing this or they have experienced or they're getting ready to? Totally. One last thing and then that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I'm doing consistently with, uh, with women postpartum is doing vaginal scar tissue remediation. Oof. What's that? Um, if, you ha- if you birth vaginally... Um, the chances are you will have created some scar tissue. If there's any tearing at all, and even if there isn't, even Uh if there's no external tearing, there's often internal tearing. And working internally after the tissues have healed to work out adhesions in the fascia of the pelvic floor feels amazing and often will rectify the symptoms that are um, presenting in the weeks and months and years postpartum. Mm. Um, it moves congestion in the kind of fluids of the pelvic floor. It moves blood and lymph. It, uh, it just opens things that have adhered together. So mm-hmm. if you think of the layers of the layers, if you think of the, the kind of mass of connected tissue as having places where it kind of gets glued together or like uh-huh. glommed together, doing hands-on work inside the pelvis and outside the pelvis can help to unglue them so that there's a proper flow through the soft tissues. And it's really simple. It's not fucking rocket science. Like it's just really, it's really pretty simple, but it's just having a sensitive touch and castor oil is really, really helpful. There's that castor oil again. I'll put that on my hair to make it grow and make it super shiny. But now (laughs) now you can put it on your vulva and (laughs) yeah, now I know (laughs) the many uses of castor oil. It's like, it's like uh, coconut oil. It goes on everything. It kind of goes on everything. (laughs) Put a little on your toast. <laughs> Wait, hair. <laughs> Pastor oil actually is super thick and kind of gross. Yeah. Um, yes. But I, but <laughs> put I it reckon- on my hair. <laughs> yes. Oh, you really do put it on. I your really hair? do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea that that was. It a makes thing. it amazing. Wow. Yes. Far out. Do I it. Will- okay. So we'll try that. <laughs> do you just shampoo it out afterwards? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I will totally try that. <laughs> I have like gallons of castor oil in my house. Perfect. So <laughs> um, it's funny also to talk about castor oil because when people. When I mention it, people, especially people who are a little bit older, associate it mainly with taking it internally as a laxative. Um, and that's not what I'm talking Don't drink it. <laughs> Definitely don't drink it. It's for topical use only. When I'm saying do it internally, I don't mean that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so takeaways. Yes. Okay. Um, I am actually going to read this. So yummy, yummy. So let me just give all my lovers an image right now. We've been sitting here on the on Pamela's couch, and it was very bright out at the beginning of our show, and now it is dark because the sun has gone down, and I can barely even see you except for the glow, the 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 very luminescent glow of your cell phone by your face. Right. Yeah. Very sexy. It's very sexy. It's a very <laughs> intimate moment. Um, So these are my recommendations for minimizing birth injury. Um, 
as as preparation for birth, like things oh, things that birthing women can do. This is great. Yeah. In order to minimize the the possibilities of injury, just in doing a little bit of research. Um, if you feel safe birthing outside of a hospital, consider birthing out of a hospital. Like investigate what that might mean in your area. Investigate who the caregivers are. Check out the birthing centers. Check out the midwives who will do home births, and really think through if the possibility of having a home birth or a birthing center birth might work for you. It means that you will not have access to medication. Mm-hmm. In the same way, you won't have access to an epidural. Mm-hmm. Some birthing centers use nitrous oxide and other things to kind of like take the edge off. Mm-hmm. And you have more options, of course, at home. Like a midwife may say that it's okay for you to have a glass of wine or to like have a toke or something like that, depending on who they are yeah, um, and how strict they're being. Mm. Um, but you have different options at home than you have in the hospital. And in the, the major difference is that in the hospital, you're on the clock in a very particular way where you will end up often being administered Pitocin, which is to intensify contractions and get the birth like moving. And if you are not in a hospital setting, you are given the luxury, the necessary luxury in my mind, of being allowed to obey your body's own timing. Mm. So you're not being rushed. Like you have some time and space to let your body do its thing. So it's the difference between viewing birth as a medical emergency and viewing it as something that is normal. So just as a consideration, it's a viable possibility. People do it safely all the time. And any licensed caregiver that you get for an out-of-hospital birth will be equipped to move you quickly to a hospital should you need one. Yeah. But in the event that you're having a normal birth, you don't have any circumstances like super high blood pressure or placenta previa or any of these things that would necessitate more constant monitoring, you can do it out of a hospital. So just something to consider. The second thing is to do proper research. If you are going to be in a hospital, do proper research into the policies and outcomes at the different hospitals in your area because they vary enormously. Check out the places that have really high C-section rates. If you don't want a C-section, don't go there. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Check out the places that really, really train their nursing staff because you're not going to really see the doctor very much in hospital. They show up at the end to catch the baby and they check in every now and then. You're going to be with the nurses. You don't know who you're going to get on the nursing shift. And in my experience... Like in any other profession, nurses are, there are better ones and there are worse ones. There are Mm -hmm. ones that want to listen to you and support you in the birth you want and others who have their own ideas about this and can kind of be like fascists about it. Mm -hmm. So look for places where they really train their nursing staff in like positioning Mm -hmm. and listening to you, where they're going to let you eat and drink, like all sorts of things Mm -hmm. um, that other hospitals may not. The third thing is please choose your doctor wisely. Mm. Do your research on this. The doctor will not change for you. They will not like rise to the occasion differently because you want something different. They will do exactly what they always do. So find out what that is. You can find people that they've cared for before and find out how that birth went, how mm-hmm. they felt about the care they received. Oof. Like really, really choose wisely. Don't just go with whoever. Yeah. Don't necessarily stick with the OBGYN that you've been using for birth control. Right. Like you want to find the right person to care for you in your birth. And please remember that they're working for you. Um, This is a tip that I got in a birthing class that I took with an amazing midwife here in town named Elizabeth Bachner, who's very, very experienced. She runs uh, Graceful here in Silver Lake. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I don't remember if it was her or the woman she was teaching with who's a childbirth educator named JJ Brake. Um, Consider stating front and center in the hospital that the birthing woman has PTSD because this encourages quiet, careful behavior from all hospital caregivers. And it's really not for anyone else to say whether or not that woman has PTSD, frankly. But because we are animals and we are not designed to birth in a place that is brightly lit and has people coming and going and poking at you and things, you know, IV needles in your arm and like all these things, we're designed to birth in a place that is quiet and dark and private and and gives us the space to go into our own experience. That Mm. is exactly not what's happening in most hospital rooms. By stating that the woman has PTSD, this is the tip that I got and I did not use it myself. So I'm just passing this along as something that I recognized as being potentially very wise. If you say that you have PTSD, they will be quiet when they enter the room. They will knock before they come in. They will do everything they can to not shock you. And because it is so far out of an experience, that can be extremely helpful. This is the trick of making a cave in a busy train station, basically, Mm. which is what a hospital room often feels like. Beautiful. Fifth is to get an experienced doula. Seriously. Like if you can afford it, get one. Mm-hmm. There are also a lot of organizations all over California and all over the place where they will just provide you. You can get a doula even if you have no money. There will be somebody who comes and goes through the birth with you in the hospital if you have no one with you. Oh, wow. um, 
my friend Emily Saldaya is amazing. Um, and she runs something called the LA doula project, which provides doulas to low income birthing women. Um, it is because the only people that you see through the most of the labor are your partner, if you have one, or other people that are there to support you and the nursing staff, having someone there who is seasoned, knows what birth should look like, can walk you through positions, makes you not reliant on the nursing staff, basically, mm-hmm. to help you, and who can be your advocate if you need it, can sneak you water if you need it, or ice chips or whatever you need, um, can just help to provide for you with the background of already having seen this many, many times, is invaluable. I really recommend it very, very strongly. Um, Sixth, and this is a big one. Do not have anyone present during your birth in whose company you won't be comfortable in an altered state. Don't let anyone in the room. Tell your If you don't have a comfortable relationship with your mom where you feel openly and unconditionally supported, don't let her in. Yes, yes. And Do you, not have let her in. Right. Yep. you have you that right. You have that right. This is your birth. If there is any occasion in your life where you get to be completely selfish, this is it. I want to wear a crown. Yeah, wear I, a fucking I'm crown. I'm gonna wear a crown. Absolutely. I don't know if you're gonna want to continue to wear it. If you want to <laughs> get with this crown, off of me, but it's, no, I'm gonna have an orgasmic birth. So I'm really I'm gonna wear my it. crown. I'm gonna have an orgasm. Okay, great, <laughs> great. I love this. Um, even and I have to say this too. Even if the person with whom you're not comfortable is your partner, don't let them in. Find <sighs> find a care team if you can. Build a care team. If you have this, if you have any, if you have friends. Anybody who will be with you will unconditionally support you Yes, in this very intense experience, especially if they have seen a birth or been through a birth themselves. Get them to be with you. Do not let anyone in the room or in the house, if you're at home, <laughs> who you don't feel comfortable being completely vulnerable with. Yeah. It's like, get your squad to stand in front of the door. I am the gatekeeper and you cannot come in. Dude, it's real. It's yeah. real. We've been that. I've been that it. as a doula. Like, oh, sorry, I'm worried. <laughs> it's been recommended that you go out for lunch because she's not ready. And, like, being with people, it's very commonly told. It's, like, not for everyone, of course, but it's a commonly told story that, like, right, the dad is sitting in the corner of the room reading a newspaper and the labor stalls. Yeah. You know, the cervix is not opening because she's she's not comfortable. Yeah. As soon as the dad leaves, things start moving or whatever, like, whatever the thing is. Yeah. um, If you, seventh, is if you would prefer to not have a C-section, I strongly recommend prepping and birthing with a midwife over a doctor Mm, because they have a different toolkit. And they have toolkits for, that include things like rotating the baby, mm-hmm. you know, like doing a lot to work with a breech birth, doing a lot to work with like bad mm. positioning, using a rebozo. I've never met a doctor who knew how to use a rebozo, mm. which is a cloth. This is a this is a village technique that's mm-hmm. uh, it's indigenous to Central America that I've seen be like the difference between a C-section and not a C-section in births, where the cloth the woman is on all fours, the cloth goes underneath her belly, and it's not comfortable, but you basically like. You, you shimmy, you shimmy yeah. your belly basically to move the baby into a more optimal position. Oh. If the baby is stuck, if a shoulder is stuck, if an arm yeah. is stuck, oh. it will encourage the baby to move. I always wondered about that. Um, oh. It's really helpful. So yeah, a midwife, a midwife who knows her, knows her game. Um, and the last, actually, huh. no, the last thing, actually, <laughs> eighth, um, is that routine episiotomies are bullshit and you should not birth in a place that does them routinely. There is the odd occasion, pretty rarely, as far as I understand from very experienced midwives. Uh There's like the odd occasion when the birthing woman's perineum is just like real gangster and really muscular and it is indicated. It is almost never indicated. The last birth that I attended was at Cedar sinai here in LA. Yes. And I saw the doctor like bust out some tools and I was like, you are not going to do an episiotomy, are you? And he looked at me and laughed at me and was like, ha, nobody does that around here anymore. We would never do that. No, ha ha. But that's like a very progressive hospital. And I know that they are routinely performed in other hospitals. So again, do your research on the hospital. If they do routine episiotomies or if that's something that your doctor has reported about him or her. Get the fuck out. Do not go with that person and do not go with that place. Mm. Um, This is like gold that you're sharing with. This is really going to I hope this that uh share with your girlfriends who are pregnant (laughs) share share with your you know your sisters and you know strangers on the street who who are pregnant because (laughs) this just really helps it's a permission slip it is a permission slip yeah and that's a permission slip that is totally all-encompassing like if you would rather have a scheduled c-section do that Mm mm-hmm if you would rather have an unmedicated birth, do that. It's if you yours. want something in between, it's totally up to you. But just to optimize the chances of things going the way that you would like, 
those are my those are my thoughts. Wow. Oh my God. Pamela, this has been such an epic es- episode. We're uh, now in total darkness. <laughs> we are in total darkness. I can't even see your face. I don't even know what she looks like right now. <laughs> Luckily, we're, we're, we've got, you know, understood consent. I said blanket <laughs> consent, so. <laughs> we have explicit and implicit consent. Yes. <laughs> so you can find out more about Pamela's work on embodyworkla.com. And I'm going to include all these resources and links on this episode so make sure to check it out and you thank you listeners thank you lovers all of you for tuning in check out eatplaysex.com subscribe to the episode i love to hear everything that you have to tell me tell me all your secrets tell me (laughs) all your joys because it's my intention that you do have the sex life of your dreams And all of this that's occurring, everything that's unfolding in your pregnancies, in your post-pregnancies, in your lovers, with your partners, sex matters. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.